And so, hey, I just want to say good morning. For those of you that I've not yet met, my name is Prentice, and I get the privilege to be the lead pastor here at Bethany West Seattle. So uh, welcome to those that are here. Welcome to those that are joining us online. For those of you that were here, uh, you may have noticed that I was wearing a mask. I've been feeling a little bit under the weather, and I feel like anytime you are ill now or wearing a mask, you have to give a disclaimer to say, uh, hey, I took a couple of COVID tests, yeah, this week, and uh, my latest one being last night, and I'm all clear, so that's my way of just throwing it in there, uh, but uh, out of just caution and uh, to honor our community, I wanted to just do that, and I think it's the smart thing to do for all of us. Uh, so, now that I got that out of the way, good morning again. Uh, we are continuing our series on First John, uh, and this has been such an amazing series for me to even just study for myself, because what we're trying to do is saying, okay, what does our faith look like when we just strip it all down, uh, and, and at the end of the day, what we get to is this phrase, loving God and loving others. And, and last week, I don't have time to unpack the whole thing, but we just, we talked about how we've made faith a bit complicating. We talked about different uh, uh, ideologies that John was talking to, different like false teachings around the Christian faith that perpetuated just the complicating of their faith, of our faith, uh, and I would say that even today, that's no different. We do a good job of arguing about theologies, about worldviews, about philosophies, about politics, about different, you know, denominations, and, and all these things. And, and what we want to just say is, after all said and done, what our faith, what God calls us to do is simply to love God and to love people. And so with that said, I will read uh, this morning's text, pray, and we'll get right to it. Our text comes from 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17. And the word of the Lord says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. That is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for who you call us to be. You call us to be a people that love you and love others. You call us to be a people that not only loves those that are easy to love, but even those that are difficult to love. Even those the world teaches us to hate, you tell us to love. We thank you that your love looks so different. In your name we pray, amen and amen. Uh, so as <clears throat> Hannah said, uh, Earlier this week, uh, there was an act of vandalism at our church. That was on Monday. Uh, the guess uh, from Mount Zion is that they try to throw rocks or something into the window, and you'd see it on the way in and on the way out. Uh, again, fortunately, no one was hurt. That was on Monday. 
But I would say that in addition to that, we had a pretty hard week uh, as a nation, as a city. Uh, and just to name just a few, I know that it's impossible to keep up with the news. And I'm not trying to keep up with the news. But I am trying to address the things that are on the hearts and minds of people and the things that I believe is just wrecking the heart of God. Uh, on Sunday afternoon, um, I heard, and, and many of us heard, that there was a big shooting in, in Northern California, or sorry, in Southern California, in Monterey Bay, uh, on Lunar New Year's of all days, taking 11 lives. Uh, Monterey Park, uh, which is near uh, a city that um, I lived for a while in Pasadena. Um, and the ironic part is I was, my wife and I were flying back from Pasadena that Saturday night. And then on that Sunday, um, the devastation happened. Uh, not too long after that, I think it was a day later, in Northern California, in Half Moon Bay, there was another uh, shooting that took seven lives. And then uh, we hear about the news uh, in Memphis, Tennessee, where a man named Tyree Nichols was beaten to death by five police officers. That was just all since the last time we met. And again, I'm not naming everything, but these are just a few of the things that maybe you and I have uh, heard about or seen on the news or seen in our social media or whatever it is. And, and I don't know about you, but I was flooded with a tremendous amount of emotion. First of all, sadness and grief and loss and lament at the fact that there was such, in all these instances, such little value for human life, for human dignity. There's so much sadness and grief for the families uh, that lost their loved ones, the injustice, the pure evil. You know, as I was reading the news, um, you know, I don't know about you, but I find it rare, especially as it pertains to uh, the killing of Tyree Nichols, where not only his family, but... Uh, the chief of police in Memphis, the federal law enforcement agencies, they all agreed, they all were on the same page that this was unjust, uh, unnecessary at the very least, and evil, uh, which would describe what happened. And so not only was there sadness, but there was also a sense of anger and, and bear with me here, because um, even as I was even thinking about talking about this, uh, I even went up to my wife, Marie, and I was like, I feel like I should talk about this. And, and maybe what I'll do is I'll just mention it at the top and say, uh, man, this is a bummer. This was sad. But there was something that the Spirit was spurring on in me, saying, you know what, we need to, as, as a church, we need to lean in. And, and we need to do hard things together. And whether, whether it is injustice, we need to speak out against injustice. This is not political. This is not tribal. This is human. This is people. 
And again, what happened in Monterey Park, what happened in Half Moon Bay, what happened in Memphis, Tennessee, this breaks the heart of God, and therefore it should break our own hearts as well as a community, as the church. And so again, my hope is that as a community, we will lean in together on doing hard things. And so, yes, this made me sad, and the other side of this is that this made me very angry. It made me angry. And maybe you felt this too. And I would submit to you this. I would submit to you that there is a type of anger that is actually good. There's there's a type of anger that we are wired with that is... that is, that, that's called righteous anger. It's an anger that even Jesus demonstrated. And, and I would say this, that that kind of gift, when we can experience that, uh, it, again, it's that. It's, it's an actual gift. We think of anger as something that we should shun and not think about and not do. Uh, and, and I'll talk about in a second where we can cross that line. But to a certain degree, we have to acknowledge that we were created this way, and anger can actually be a gift. It can be a gift. Because when we can experience this, what we're doing is we're experiencing the heart of God. When we feel a sense of this righteous anger, we're actually being able to, uh, in solidarity, experience the very emotion and feeling that God is experiencing. And I will tell you that what happened last week, what happened with, in Memphis, made God angry and sad and broken. And because we as humans can feel all of those things, we can experience what God is experiencing. We can feel the heart of God. We can be angry when the image of God is destroyed. We can be angry when we hear about things like human trafficking and abuse. We can be angry when we see suffering in the world, poverty, homelessness, people that are going hungry, thirsty. We can be angry at that kind of suffering. We can be angry even on a personal level. We can be angry when there's been hurt or betrayal done to us, when there's injustice even to ourselves. We can be angry. That's okay. Matthew tells us that there's a scene where Jesus flips the tables because the people around made a mockery of the temple, defiled the temple. And so Jesus goes around and just starts flipping tables and yells at the people there and says, what have you done? You've made this temple of God a den of robbers. And I would say this, anger, and this is how it's a gift, is our body's way of telling us that it's not supposed to be this way. When we feel the sense of righteous anger, it's our body And it's our spirit, and it's God saying, this is not the way I created things to be. This is not the way that I wanted things to be. This is not the way I intended things to play out. And so when you feel that anger of that uh, injustice and evil and, and suffering out in the world, that's God's way of saying, thank you for understanding now how I feel. It's our body's way of saying, it's not supposed to be this way. 
But, but there's another side of this where Paul, in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, says this. In your anger, <coughs> do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. I love that Paul says in the beginning, in your anger, do not sin. In other words, you're going to get angry, and it's okay. Jesus was angry. Paul was angry. Paul was actually a very angry human being. So he experienced a lot of anger. But he would say that even though anger is natural, and it's the way that we're wired, in that anger, do not cross the line of sin, of being hurtful, of missing it, of missing the point of what it's about. And, and then it says, do not let the sun go down while you're angry. In other words, yeah, it's okay to be angry. In fact, it's a gift. In fact, it's a good thing. But don't hang out there. Don't hang out there. Don't live in that anger. Because the longer you live in that anger, the, the easier and the quicker that the devil can use that as a foothold in order for you to fall into sin. So anger in and of itself is not a sin. It's not bad. It can be a gift. But when we hold on to it for so long, it can poison our souls then in turn poison our relationships and our relationship with God. You see, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, anger, again, if not aligned with the Spirit of God, can quickly turn into a spirit of hate, of hate. And that is when anger turns into sin. When our anger is not aligned with the Spirit of God, it can quickly turn into a spirit of hate. And when hate grabs a hold of our hearts, our bodies even, our minds, it destroys us inside and out. And many of us, we felt that before. And maybe this hatred or hatefulness doesn't play out in some of the things that we talked about. Uh, that might be some of the extreme, but even in little ways in our own lives, we judge a person for their mistakes. But guess what? That judgmentalism that we pour onto others destroys us. We may resent a person for doing that evil thing. And again, anger is okay, but when we hold on to that resentment, that resentment becomes poison to our souls. St. Augustine once said that resentment, resentment is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to be hurt. We can refuse to love others. We can refuse to see the image of God in them for whatever reason. And I would say many times, maybe it might be justifiable reasons, because that person did a bad thing, because that person was hurtful, because that person was mean. Maybe that person voted differently than you. Maybe that person hangs out in a different tribe than you. Maybe that person has, has a different religion than you. Maybe that person has a different ideology than you. Maybe that person has a different worldview than you. Maybe that person looks differently than you. We can hold on to these resentments or these refusal to love that person, that other person, because they're different in some way, shape, or form. But this is almost a promise. That bitterness that we harbor becomes poison and, again, toxic to our souls. 
Again, we're constantly bitter, we become hard to please, and we're rarely ever content. So before we start making judgments, before we start refusing to love somebody because of an evil thing that they did, before we start to just harbor this resentment and refuse to let go, just know this, that hatred, that that resentment, that refusal to love, yes, for whatever reason, might be justifiable, again, because sometimes the anger that we feel is good. That anger gives us the experience of God. But when we hold on to that for too long, the devil grabs a a foothold of that and brings us not into a world of anger, but into a world of hatred. And when we enter that world of hatred, that actually doesn't do anything to that person that we hate. It actually destroys our own souls, our own selves. And that's what we need to be careful of. Uh, One writer, James Baldwin, he says this, Hatred, which can destroy so much, never failed to destroy the man or the person who hated or who did the hating. And this was an immutable law. In other words, when we hate the other person, that hate that we have actually destroys our own souls, and that's a guarantee. That's an immutable law. That is a guarantee. And so John, here in 1 John, his letter, makes it abundantly clear that the love of God is so big, and it's so different, and it's so radical, that there is no space for this kind of hatred in our lives. And and, and in, in this letter... Uh, And I don't have time to go over all the context, but there's a reason why John speaks of this way. There's a context that uh, the apostles writing in the first century, and again, if uh, you weren't here last week, you might want to go back and listen to just the unpacking of why John is writing. But, But just in a cliff note, John is writing to a group of Christians uh, that fell into this false teaching of Gnosticism. Uh, and, and Gnosticism's basic beliefs were this. The physical and the spiritual were at odds with one another. Number two, the goal is to know that our physical will pass away only to be left with our spirit. So, in the world of the Christian community in Ephesus, where, G, where John is writing to, uh, there is this infiltration of false teaching amongst the Christians called Gnosticism, where the spiritual and the physical are at, at odds, uh, they're at odds with one another. And, and the goal for the Gnostics is to escape our physical bodies and, and to experience and just be a spiritual entity. That we abandon all things physical, our physical bodies, our physical earth, because anything physical is bad. And so therefore, we go to heaven with our spiritual bodies. That is what Gnosticism believed. Now, there's two implications of Gnosticism as it pertains to the understanding of Jesus. The first is this. If, and this is their logic here, if... The physical body is bad, and if Jesus is God, perfect, sinless, divine, how can that be reconciled? Well, this is the way that the Gnostics reconciled that uh, inconsistency. 
The Gnostics believed in this idea called docetism, where uh, docetism simply means, in Greek, to seem. It's literally translated as to seem. So the Gnostics believed that Jesus only seemed to be human, but Jesus, they believed in Jesus, but they didn't believe the humanity of Jesus because humans in the physical bodies were evil, were bad, and needed to be escaped from. So they believed that Jesus was just like a ghost, was like a walking spiritual deity that only pretended to be a human being. So that was implication number one. They essentially took out the, the humanity of Jesus and only saw Jesus as a spiritual soul, a, a divine deity. Uh, and number two, because of that separation, the Gnostics believed that it didn't really matter what we did in this physical world with our physical bodies. And, and so uh, they were like, you know what, the world's going to go away in a hell in a handbasket. And some of us, we, we kind of live this way too without even calling ourselves Gnostics. But we say, you know what, uh, one day after we die, uh, then our souls are going to go into heaven and we're just going to be floating around with God. And so what happens on this earth, it, it doesn't really matter. I can do whatever I want. I can make any decision I want. I can even hurt people as long as it makes me happy. Because you know what? Who cares? Because this world is going to go away anyways. This is exactly how the Gnostics felt. And then here we are. This, in the midst of this worldly, and I use this word worldly as in that was a cultural belief. That was a societal belief at the moment, at that time. That you can do anything with your bodies because it didn't matter. Because of this Gnostic belief of separation of the physical and the spiritual, that's the backdrop of why John is writing. <clears throat> and he says, do not love the world or anything of the world. And he says, again, he's writing to Christians. He says, okay, in this world, there's this false teaching going on, and I don't want you to fall in love with it because it's wrong and it's hurtful. And, and, and guess what? He says, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in them. If you believe that what you do with your physical bodies right now doesn't matter, then guess what? You're not living aligned with what God is teaching through his son Jesus. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from God, but from the world. And so there's this idea of lust, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. Uh, and the assumption of many scholars and theologians is that they were using their bodies in, in a perverted way, uh, sexually and immorally and in other ways of the world. And John was saying, you know what, you may think that doesn't matter, but it does. There's no neutrality. You're either loving God through loving yourself and loving others, or you fall into this Gnostic belief where it doesn't matter, and when you believe it doesn't matter, you're actually not living aligned with the Spirit of God. And so just a couple words I want to unpack for us is the word, the world. When, when John says, do not love the world, it's this Greek word, cosmos, where we get cosmology, the word cosmology from. And, and really, this, this doesn't mean that 
John is saying, you know what? And sometimes we Christians, we interpret it this way. We say, do not love the world. In other words, if it's not Christian, it's the world. And our job is to dislike it or don't pertain to it. Don't engage in it. Uh, you know, create this us versus them, this separation, you know, mentality. That's not, that's not what John meant. In fact, that's, that would be impossible. It would be illogical because in John's gospel... In John 3.16, many of us memorized it, the first line says, For God so loved the world. So God loved the world, the cosmos, and everything. God created it. And so John is not necessarily saying, hate anything that's not Christian. But it was this idea, the world, there's two, there's two or three different ways that the word cosmos was used in the New Testament. One was the world. God loved the cosmos. God loved the world. And, and then there's a cosmos that talks about this uh, idea of society and the beliefs and the common beliefs in society. That's how John translates what the world is, not this separationist model. I remember when I was in youth group, I was at this youth camp uh, and, or this youth church retreat, and the whole retreat was about us not loving the world. In fact, hating the world. In other words, not engaging in it. My youth pastor, and what they say in the South, God bless his heart. Uh, and we're still friends to this day. And, and I know that I've said things that if I could rewind to my youth ministry days, like, why did I say that? Uh, but he said that we couldn't watch sports on TV because it was either glorifying God or it wasn't. It was either evangelizing or talking about Jesus and elevating the Bible or whatever it is, or it wasn't. We either love God or uh, we love the world, but we can't do both. And, and that kind of ideology is very dangerous. I remember after that, what we had to do is, back then we had these little round things called CDs, uh, and, and we would get the CDs, and he would say, if you're listening to worldly or secular music, Bring all your CDs. And I really wrestled with that because I had some really good CDs. You know, I, you know on one end, I had, uh, I remember the picture of my, my Nirvana album. I had Tupac. I had Green Day. I had Biggie Small. I had, like, all these albums, probably, you know, hundreds of dollars worth of CDs that, well, I didn't buy. My parents bought Actually, they didn't even buy me all that. Anyways, I don't know where I got those from. But I got these CDs, and I put it in a garbage bag, and I brought it over to the church, and so did my fellow youth ministry friends. And we got these big shovels and big hammers, and we had a CD-breaking party. Put it in the middle, we just broke all of our CDs because we had this understanding that if it wasn't singing or rapping about Jesus, then it was worldly and we should hate it. And so we destroyed it all. I remember the next day being so upset with myself because I wanted to listen to good music. And nothing against Christian music, but it gets hard. <laughs> and, and so what John is talking about is not that we separate ourselves because, again, that's, that would be dangerous. And we've seen the danger in that isolationist mentality. But he's saying, whatever that normal societal understanding uh, of the world, of the culture, 
You don't have to be a part of it. You don't have to be living the way that the society is living. In other words, John is saying the the Gnostic ethics around sexuality, around caring for the poor, or not caring for, for the poor for that matter, because, hey, what does it matter anyways? Not serving others. You don't have to live like that. In fact, St. Ignatius said this about the Gnostics. They have no concern for love, none for the widow, none for the orphan, none for the oppressed, none for the prisoner or the one released, none for the hungry or thirsty. This is the way that the Gnostics live. What does it matter? I can live any way I want to. I don't have to love. I don't have to serve. I don't have to be sacrificial. That was the message of the world of that time. When, when, when John says, do not love the world, what John is saying, do not love that message. Do not love the message of, it doesn't matter. Do not love the message of, of hey, you don't have to love others. You don't have to serve the widows. You don't have to serve the prisoners or the free. You don't have to serve the hungry. You don't have to serve the thirsty. It doesn't matter. We're all going to go to heaven in our spiritual bodies, and all the bad stuff is going to be left behind. And what John is saying, you don't have to live like that. You don't have to believe the things that the Gnostics believe. You can live a different way. The ways of Jesus is so different from the ways of this world. That is, that is John's key message to, to the church in Ephesus. I would say that's John's key message to us. The ways of Jesus are different from the ways of this world. And, and I'll be honest with you. Uh, I have an absolute love and, and hate relationship with this idea because it's so much easier to choose resentment. It's so much easier not to care for the widow, for the poor, the thirsty, the hungry, the prisoner, the released. It's so much easier to just only care about myself and doing what makes me happy. I'll be honest, that is way easier than doing things different from the world. It's easier to pick a side. It's easier to just fall into judgmentalism. It's easier to believe that I'm just a better person. And and I would say that the, the world that the Gnostics lived in and the world today that we live in is no different. There's messages all across our 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 world. Our own personal worlds, whether you enter into your own tribe, your own social media, your own news resource that you use, your own echo chambers. The encouragement is this, hey, you're right. We in this group, we're right, and they're wrong. And so you don't have to love them. You don't have to serve them. You're not the one that's homeless. You're not the one that's poor. You're not the one that's an immigrant. You're not the one that's been incarcerated. You're not the one, you fill in the blank. It's okay. As long as you are happy. Here in 2023, 2022, the year that we just had, we live in in this social context where there's words like, you do you, or, or do what makes you happy, 
or that, that is your truth. And, and believe me, to some degree, like I think there's things that only we can own and only we can know. But to another degree, I would say that that mentality can be very dangerous. It could be dangerous. And so like John, to the Gnostics, John is encouraging us that we can live and that we should live, that we must live as followers of Jesus to live differently than the world. I think about the perpetrators in Monterey Park. I think of the perpetrator in Half Moon Bay. I think about the five officers in Memphis that beat this man, Tyree Nichols, to death. And I'm angry. And I think that's okay. I think that's good. Remember, we talked about that righteous anger. But if I'm not careful, that anger will mutate, not into something that is righteous, not, and not something that identifies with the heart of God, but it will mutate into something that ends up being poisonous to my own soul. And I can say, you know what? I choose to hate. That's okay. That's easier. That's the way of the world. We're even encouraged. You know what? I, there's things I saw on my social media feed, the things I saw on the news, the people I talked to, that only spilled fuel into, my, into the fire of my hatred. Like, oh my gosh, those 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 officers, that person who did the shooting and, and whatever it is, they deserve to rot in hell. I hope they suffer. I hate them so much. I hope, you know, film the, and some of the most ugliest, I hope this happens to them. And believe me, anger is good, but if we're not careful, that anger turns into hate, and that hate destroys our own souls, and we become the very thing that we hate in others just on the other side of it. And that is when Jesus and John says the very hard thing that I have a love-hate relationship with. He says the ways of Jesus is very different from the world. When the world says it's okay to hate people that that did these evil things, or even on the other side, it's okay to hate people that look differently than you. It's okay to hate people that speak a different language than you. It's okay to hate or, or look down upon or judge or have resentment on people that have done wrong to you. It's okay. You deserve to hate them or to resent them or to, to shun them or, or whatever it is. But the ways of Jesus is different from the ways of this world. And I I'm so upset that Jesus said that. Jesus says to love others, love your neighbors, no duh. But in addition to that, he says, love those that you hate. He says, love your enemies. Who are our enemies? Who are your enemies? This week, I'll tell you what. Those five police officers in Memphis, they were my enemies. The shooter in Monterey Park, he was my enemy. The shooter in Half Moon Bay, he was my enemy. This week, those were my enemies. In my mind, I had a disgust towards them. I had an anger towards them. And then Jesus reminds me 
that even in your anger, do not sin. And not only that, you should love, not just love the people that are easy to love, not just your family, not just the people that you agree with, but the people that are your enemies, you should love them too. Don't you hate that? I can't, geez, why'd you have to say that? And yet, we're called to live so differently. And in verse 17, John kind of answers the why in the how or, or, or the what. He says, basically, why do we live this way? Why do we do this? And he says, the world will pass away. The world will pass away. So sometimes, and even I had this wrestling when I was preparing this sermon, is that in order for me to love God and to love others, I must speak the truth. And the truth about it is what happened this week and last week was, was evil. I don't want to just touch the surface. I don't want to just briefly mention in the beginning, even though I really was tempted to do that. I didn't want to do that. But the way that we love others is to be different and is to speak out when no one else is speaking out. In the midst of silence, when the world says to be silent, not to stir up trouble, not to be controversial, not to be attacked by the other side, the world says, you know what, just keep the peace. And I felt the Spirit was calling on me to do something different. And Jesus reminded me that, hey, the world's going to pass away. And here's what John means by that. Not just the, the planet Earth is going to pass away. The culture and the society, the ideologies, that's just temporary. And so I was wrestling with this. Well, but I want approval from people. I don't want people to be upset with me. Because believe me, that whenever I say things controversial, I hear about it. Uh, and maybe you've, you've sent me that, that email, that feedback, that feedback on Monday morning. Uh, I've gotten those emails. I've gotten these conversations. I've gotten a talking to because what I said was too loaded, too divisive, too even political. And, and believe me, I hate politics. I don't like talking about politics. I like talking about the kingdom of God. And sometimes the kingdom of God will critique one side, and sometimes the kingdom of God will critique the other side. Oftentimes, the kingdom of God will critique every single side. And so to me, when John says the world will pass away, that's an encouragement to me. That's saying, you know what? The, the voices of others will pass away. The approval, yes, you may have approval from that person, but guess what? Next week, they won't care about you. And that's a good thing. They won't even remember what you said. So what are you going to choose? Are you going to choose to love God and love others by speaking truth? by doing what's difficult, by not listening to the world? Or are you going to succumb to our need for human approval that is only temporary? Or maybe we choose to go against the will of God because we want to acquire more, whether that's money, a bigger house, more success, more status, more fame. That's all good and well, but guess what John says? That too will pass away. Maybe you want to move up in the world. Maybe you want to climb the corporate ladder 
And so instead of choosing to love God and choosing to love others, you choose to do things that are very temporary that will soon pass away. Yes, loving God and loving others, it sounds simple, but it's messy, and it can be hard. But it's way better and more permanent and more eternal than succumbing and succumbing to temporary things that will only pass away, like the voices of others, like monetary gains, like your status in your job or this world. So do the will of God. It says do the will of God. Now, what does the will of God look like? It's mimicking and imitating the person of Jesus. What did Jesus do? How did Jesus live? He stood up for injustice. He did hang out with the poor and the marginalized. He actually did feed the hungry and thirsty. He did heal people. He did forgive people. That, that put him on the cross. Judas and even the soldiers that pinned him on the cross, Jesus says, forgive them, for they not know what they're doing. Forgive them. These are the people that killed Jesus, and he says, forgive them. Jesus loved those who hate you. Jesus loved those who hated him. And so as I invite the, the, the worship team back up, as we enter in this time of reflection, and even the self-inventory, my question for you to ponder is this. Are we loving people the way God calls us to love people? And the way that God calls us to love people is to be so different from the world. When the world and our tribe and our echo chamber says it's okay to hate, it's okay to resent, it's okay to not forgive, Jesus is saying, we need to forgive, we need to love, we need to embrace. And so while it is okay to be angry, in fact, anger is a gift. It's our body's way of saying it's not okay. But how do we hold that intention without crossing the line into the very thing that poisons our soul? For many of us, it just starts with prayer. God, soften my heart towards that person, towards my enemy, and you fill in the blank on who that enemy is. God, soften my heart towards the people that I resent, and you fill in the people that you resent. God, soften my heart to the people that, that have done me wrong. Soften my heart for those that I can't forgive. Soften my heart to those I hate. And may I choose to be more like you. May I choose to love. We sing a song something like this, but it comes from St. Francis of Assisi. He says this, and I'll end with this. He says, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hate, let me so love. God, thank you that we can do hard things together as a church. That we can name the injustice. We can speak out against evil and speak of your love and your kingdom. We thank you for the gift of anger, that we can righteously be angry 
because that shows us how you feel. But at the same time, may we not cross over to hatred, into resentment, into judgment for the people around us, for the people we read about in the news, because we know that in and of itself turns our hearts hard and poisoned. God, where there is hate, may we bring peace and may we sow love. In your name we pray. Amen and amen.